0: and welcome to another edition of Menopause Buddies. Today I'm joined by Julia from the UK. Hi Julia. Hello Annie, how are you? I'm very well and you? I'm very well, thank you, very well. Great, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Um, would you like to start by just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, Julia?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm um As Annie said, I live in the UK. I'm a 59 year old woman. I've literally just turned 59, married with a a 21 year old son. Um, Lived in the UK most of my life, but did have a bit of a stint over in Australia, which is quite relevant actually for the conversation we're going to have today. I've worked in the um, fashion retail industry for the majority of my life. as a buyer, as a director, as a chief brand officer, and then had a bit of a shift of direction around seven years ago, six or seven years ago, and um, went down the route of re-qualifying as a coach. And I now consult to the retail industry and coach women um and and um extremely passionate about empowering women, which will sort of come out of this conversation actually, because it's it's been a very interesting journey for me. And um and I hope that this will help other women who go through the experiences that I've been through in terms of the impact it has on your career and your confidence, et cetera.
0: Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. So do do you want to start by telling us you know, your journey, where you are, what happened, what you did? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Um, how long
1: have we got? How long have we got? (laughs) As long as
0: you need. Well, I
1: could go on for hours. Where I'm at, which is quite an interesting one when I, I reconsidered this, actually, I'm officially menopausal. So I have not had a period, I don't think, since about... 2015 2016 so I'm officially menopausal um does that mean that everything's perfect and rosy in the garden and I don't have any symptoms anymore no it doesn't I mean my experience of it I didn't know I'd never even heard of perimenopause as many women wouldn't have done back then I mean there's a lot more conversation and knowledge um, about all of this out in the sort of media and in the world now than there was when I started experiencing things. I went to Australia in two thousand and thirteen. and and from memory, I was having perimenopause symptoms at least a year to two years before then. um, but didn't know that's what it was. The main um things that I was experiencing was huge anxiety. But I've always been quite an up and down person in that sense. So I didn't put that down to anything other than the fact that I had an extremely stressful job. I was very senior. I had a very large team. So I put all of that down to work and attributed it to the pressures and stresses of work. I did start experiencing very, very bad night sweats. And I didn't know what it was, didn't know why. so it was really impacting my sleep really badly. So obviously that was contributing to the fact that I was feeling very anxious because I was exhausted the whole time. Um, and I was commuting up to London every day um, on the train and in rush hour and doing all of those things. Yeah. all the things you just put down to the fact that life is stressful and it's busy and you know you're doing lots of things. Yeah So that was sort of the beginning of, of the journey. And then I got the opportunity to go and live in Australia, so I sort of drag my husband and son. A bit kicking and screaming actually over to the other side of the world, thinking that my life was going to be perfect and all the challenges that I was experiencing would all disappear miraculously. Um, but obviously you realise that you take everything with you, they don't disappear. And I and I think it was again, I I was experiencing a lot of menopause perimenopausal symptoms, but because of the massive change I was going through, you know, moving to the other side of the world, I had a 10-year-old son, um all the changes that was taking place and the fact that from a sort of geographical perspective, you know, the change in where I was living, there is a very def- definite physical difference being in Australia to here. So, you know, climatically and, you know, the water's different and the air's different and the the pollen's different, all of those things. So I was experiencing quite a lot of things, but wasn't attributing it to menopause at all. Um So I put it all, when I look back and I've had conversations with friends of mine now who are the same sort of age as me and equally have gone through the same sort of journey from a professional perspective, as well as, you know, we've talked about menopause. I put it all down to me and I thought it was me and I was failing and I couldn't cope and it was pressure and it was burnout and it was my failing. That I wasn't good enough to cope with all of it now I didn't know at the time it was it was anything to do with perimenopause and I do know now and I do believe that it was the major contributor to when I actually left my job because I didn't think I was competent enough or capable enough um, which is very sad actually. And I now sad, yeah. know because I became very, very interested in all of this, especially because I do so much work with women. Um, I, I did a lot of research into um, the perimenopause and the menopause. And I've done you know, a few workshops and things again to support women going through this. So that feeling of failure was, was huge. And the journey, and I know I'm not the only one in this at all. I'm very, very uh, aware of, how many women go through this how many appointments did I have at the GP how many appointments did I I mean different doctors who gave me such conflicting feedback um fobbed me off constant do you think you're depressed do you think you're depressed do you think you're depressed you know do you want to be put on antidepressants which I didn't at all and i fed back to many of them you know you know my my husband's experienced depression in the past i know what depression is and i was not depressed i was very anxious very very anxious um but i really really didn't want to to go down that route at all and I, and i think one of the biggest things i would like to pass on actually is it wasn't until I actually got quite demanding that things changed and I didn't have the confidence to do that initially. It was as a consequence of a couple of very, very close friends of mine, one of whom had gone through the early menopause and one of whom had always had challenges with regards to her cycle, etc. And she was experiencing huge difficulties trying to become pregnant. And as a consequence of that was seeing a specialist, a, a hormone specialist, etc. And both of them were the ones that said to me, you need to go and see a specialist, you have to go and see somebody who knows what they're talking about, because the GPs are general practitioners, so they don't know, you know, the detail. Um, and I think that was a huge turning point for me, and one of those friends, the one who was um, having problems with conceiving, um, she gave me the details of a lady that she was seeing privately, but actually worked on the NHS for the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. And I went to see a different GP. And I'd just been told by another GP, you're perimenopausal. And I'm like, I'm not. I haven't had a period year. I'm not. No, no, you are. You're perimenopausal. I said, I'm not. Perimenopausal. I'm menopausal, and I went to see a different GP and said, "I need to go and see something. I want to see this lady, at Chelsea in Westminster." And she was lovely, and she referred me, and, and I went to see this wonderful lady, and who basically said, "Because I was at that stage on HRT, said your oestrogen levels are so low, it's as if you're not on anything at all, and that's why you're feeling so awful." And so she put me on much, much higher dosages of estrogel. And I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. Mm. It still isn't now, but it it was a huge turning point and definitely improved how I was feeling in the situation. Um...
0: Goodness, that's a a hell of a story, isn't it? I mean, just how, how many years was that that you were trying to get listened to? Over what period of time?
1: Well, it's quite interesting because I think back to the first time I was looking through some notes I had earlier, actually, in preparation for this. When I was in Australia, I've got a note that I went to see my lovely GP in Australia, because she was absolutely lovely, in 2014. And I remember it quite clearly. She came out to get me from the reception area and I just burst into tears. Wow. And just probably cried through the whole whole appointment. And she was very sympathetic, very lovely, but to her own admission, knew nothing about the menopause. I mean, she had this big sort of like an encyclopedia on her desk. Well, let's go through this and see what we can put you on, sort of thing. So it's been a journey. You know, if we think 2023 and that was 2014, it, it's it's been an ongoing journey since then so a, a very very long period of time and so many of the things i was experiencing i didn't know was menopausal so yeah. things like burning mouth which i know now is quite unusual and i still get it now but i know what it is but at the time i was really worried i thought there was something really wrong with me um and sort of your skin changes and it gets very dry and your hair changes and all all of the sort of not just emotional, mental sort of shifts and challenges, but the physical changes. Um, but it's been very, you know, I remember going to see a, a GP, he was a man, and, and him just being, you know, I look back and I think, I can't believe that what he said and how I sort of put up with it almost. He he was just very, well, what do you mean you feel rubbish? what do you merely feel awful? I feel awful in the morning. And then I get up and I have a cup of tea and I feel a bit better. And then I see my kids and I feel better again. And then by the time I leave the house, I feel fine. So what do you mean you don't feel, you feel rubbish? And and goodness, he then said, he gave me a question and said, do you think you're depressed? And gave me this piece of paper with the questions on about depression as I left the surgery, which I chucked in the bin as I walked
0: out. <laughs> um But it, just, it, it is strange, isn't it? Because I guess... This is all as a result of our mums and our grandmums and our great-grandmums not talking about it because yeah. they never went to the doctor about it, so the doctors never had to learn. No,
1: and exactly. so it was
0: never on on their agenda in terms yeah. of when they were at, at medical school. So it's only now that we've become more vocal and looking for answers and, and understanding the, the, the various symptoms that are part of the menopause, that yeah. we're getting answers and you know, I'm a similar generation to you, so went through mid forties, probably to early fifties, feeling rubbish, but not knowing why, and again exactly. feeling anxious. And but and if you had known, if we had known what it was, it would have been so much easier to deal with. Well, so because. much of it
1: is the fear, isn't it? Like yes. with anything, it's the fear of the unknown. And because, I mean, it's amazing that you do this, and it's amazing now that there is an open dialogue, there is a discussion that's yeah. being had. And, you know, I am hearing people talk to each other about it. You know, it's a much more open conversation. But as you said, with our, when we were brought up, I remember my mum going on to HRT patches. I don't know how old she was, and she's not with us anymore, so I couldn't ask her. But I remember it was this sort of taboo sort of subject. And her HRT patches were sort of shoved at the back of the drawer in the bedroom and I do remember her having to go into hospital and I do remember it all sort of been shrouded in a bit of mystery but not really talked about so it sort of leaves you with that feeling that there's something awfully wrong yes you no know, and because you're very impressionable at that time but it was never discussed I didn't I don't remember there ever being a discussion around it at all and I, and therefore, if you don't know, then it, it
0: just heightens the anxiety, doesn't it? It, heightens it, it does, stuff. yeah. yeah. And, and it heightens the taboo. Oh, if we're not exactly. allowed to talk about it, then I can't talk about it. And goodness knows why we didn't ever talk about it. But one of the things you said, and sadly, it's still too common, is that women get to a certain age at work when they're in a high profile job, a lot of stress. And they then blame themselves mm-hmm. that they can't cope, and they leave, which is, you know, so bad for for everyone, for the woman, for the company, for the, for the country. And I just hope that by you know people like you talking about it, that other women will understand. Well, actually, no, it's not me. It's just my hormones, and I need to get them sorted, and then yeah. I will be sorted. But we're so good at blaming ourselves when we can't cope, when it's not us. It, and Absolutely. that really upsets me. That, that we, And I just hope that other women listening will realise, actually, I'm going through that. And, oh, that's, you know, that's what it is, because it's so subtle when it first starts. It's it's it really is so subtle, the change that happens to us and that sudden questioning of our ability, whereas before we were flying along. And it, mm. it, it just, yeah, I, I and thank like, you for and- sharing that.
1: You know, life is demanding anyway, and it's stressful, and it's all of those things. And I was the sole breadwinner. So I had all the pressure of the family and fine everything on my shoulders, yeah. which my husband became a house husband, which was amazing, absolutely amazing, because it meant that while I was off doing what I was doing, it didn't mean I, you know, it meant I didn't have to worry about he was looking after our son. And that decision was made because when my son was born, he had a very rare. Um, complication, which he's fine now. I mean, he's you know absolutely amazing and very healthy and very fit and very strong. But we made that decision, so you know, I knew that I was in a stressful situation, I knew I was, but the fear and and this isn't, I know we're talking specifically around menopause and perimenopause, but as a general, because I work with so many women, as a general sort of ruling not ruling or I can't think of the word we are so afraid of showing vulnerability because we've been taught and conditioned over our lives that if you show vulnerability that's weakness and yeah. that you will be negatively judged and in the industry that i was in fashion industry it's dominated by women But the women at the top of the tree are very few. So I was at the top of the tree, but none of us would talk about any of that. You know, you would not show that you were struggling or you were finding it difficult or you were not sleeping. And you just wouldn't because you would be or the fear was that you would then be somehow negatively judged that you can't cope.
0: You're not able to do
1: this. And you would then not get the next promotion or you would not, you know, and because it generally, you know, the reporting structure generally, it was men. They didn't, no disrespect to men at all. If women didn't know about it, how the hell would men know about it?
0: Exactly. (laughs) No, exactly. We did it. We'd done a good job hiding it from them for so long. Absolutely.
1: And I think that fear, which obviously it's all sort of come out over the last few years, that actually it was very skewed information, that fear that if I, take hormone replacement therapy, then it's going to mean that there's a higher risk for me to get breast cancer or all of all of those things that we were told, yeah. hence it being, oh no, no, you're not going to go on that. Actually me now know that's not the case. And that um, you know, the, the women that were sort of polled or or um assessed way back when, when all that happened, were, you know, in their seventies and eighties and were very, very different sort of age demographic to the sort of average age when women do start going through all of this. Um but I th- I think I think when I, it's really hard, isn't it, when you look back and think, what did I know or not know? I remember doing a workshop on menopause a, a year or so ago and one of the bits of feedback I got from one of the women who who was on the workshop or on the on the call was she didn't know that there was lots of choices. She didn't know. She thought, well, if I there's HRT and that's it. She didn't know, well, there's gels and there's creams and there's pills and there's different strengths and there's different... She didn't know. I mean, it, I think that's what makes it so challenging for us as women trying to navigate something that even the professionals aren't fully aware of. So as a, a, an example, it wasn't until I was going to see... A specialist at the Chelsea in Westminster and it wasn't the first lady actually it was another lady that I saw and we were having a conversation and I mentioned that I was seen to be getting a lot of migraines and I get them every so often and um, there's no trigger but I seem to be getting a lot of them and I didn't know whether it was related to the HRT I was on and she asked me to describe them now what I didn't know and Ooh. I know now based on the conversation that I had with her, is I have what's called migraines with aura. So it's a bit like looking through a kaleidoscope when I get them and it, your vision all goes. And she said it's really important that you know that because you shouldn't be given oral HRT. I didn't know oh. that. I didn't know that. And I'd been on it oral in the past. And that when we went through, was it last year, when we went through the shortage of gel? Well, I was getting my normal prescription, and I couldn't get it. And I went—I didn't know at the time—I went down to the surgery because I was just got a ping on my phone to say that my prescription was ready. And I went down, and she went to get it for me. And instead of it being in a big paper bag with six bottles of easter gel, and it, it was a little paper bag with a little box in it. And I was thinking, oh, uh-uh, it's obviously pills. It's not gel. And I—I ha- I had to say to her that I can't take this because I have migraines with aura. And she checked the note. Oh, yeah, sorry and then got some uh, gel patches for me instead until they actually got the pumps, you know, back. Yeah. But it's it's there is an element of we have to take the responsibility ourselves for, for this as well and finding out stuff because it's not all out there. It's better. It definitely is getting better. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I know in terms of, you know, the training that GPs didn't get, I know that that's shifting and changing. And I know that, you know, in terms of spreading awareness, when our kids are at school, you know, and it becoming part of the sort of national curriculum in terms of, along with sex education, you know, menopause, et cetera, is being included apparently in all of that. So, you know, knowledge is power, isn't it? At the end of the day. So the more knowledge we all have, the better it will be. But but I, I, I say this with knowing this isn't an easy thing to do having to be really demanding because by the very nature of what we're talking about when you're going through it very often you feel anxious you don't feel confident you don't know what's going on you know you're tired you're physically exhausted as well as mentally so to have the strength or the confidence to be able to sit in front of a GP and demand is even harder than if that wasn't going on so I'm very aware of that but for me, one of the biggest lessons, you know, what I wish somebody had told me was there are lots of choices. There are lots of options, you know, and if you don't feel that your GP is giving you the support you need or something they've prescribed for you doesn't seem to be working, then don't feel that you can't go back and actually say that and explore what the other options are because I've been tried on testosterone and progesterone and oestrogen of varying um you know strengths etc I've had pills and I've had patches and I've had and I have now gel I've had progesterone coil which one thing (laughs) when when in the things that you're asking is what's one of the things that you wish somebody had told you if you get the progesterone coil it is i don't mean to put anybody off cuz it, it's great having it cuz you don't have to worry about it but do take some high dosage of ibuprofen and paracetamol before you go in to have it actually oh. put in <laughs> because it is not comfortable and it, and nobody told me that <laughs> it was going to be painful um, yeah. And since then, I've spoken to friends of mine who I was speaking to a friend last week, and she said, "Oh, yeah, she was advised to take, you know, x number of hours before she went in ibuprofen and paracetamol, just so that it would be less um, painful. painful."
0: goodness. So I wish yep. somebody told me that because I didn't know that. Always um, good to, to pass on those little nuggets, yeah, is Definitely, isn't it? Yeah. definitely. So, so now where are, do you feel? So you're on you're on um, gel, and mm-hmm. uh, do you feel um, your your symptoms have you're, you're, man, you're managing them quite well <sighs> um
1: certain symptoms that i did have are, aren't here so in terms of sleep i do have quite fitful sleep but I, that that isn't i don't think necessarily down to um, menopause i think it's down to sort of environmental factors and so i don't have huge issues with regards to that um Anxiety, I still do find challenging. Um, I have been back to the GP over the last year or so. But as, as we all know, since the pandemic, you know what, the NHS has been um, under an, a huge amount of pressure. And I did go back and say, look, I still don't feel right and I want to see somebody. And they she very kindly said yes and she referred me to a hospital in Oxford but I had to wait over six months to actually have in inverted commas an appointment and it turned out it was a phone appointment and then I was just told me well, you need to have blood tests and I thought well I have blood tests before Christmas so I you know it, you sort of get a bit to the point of going around in circles sometimes but I, I would say generally yes I'm manage it i think i'm much more aware now of the impact of what you eat what you drink um exercise etc it becomes more important than it ever was before because it, it does have a huge you know i know that drinking a few glasses of wine before i go to bed which is lovely it really impacts my sleep negatively, really negatively impacts my sleep. Um, which in the past I might have put that down to menopause, whereas actually that's that's environmental, that's the decisions I make with regards to what food I put in my body. And I know that exercising and um you know my exercise of choice is running or walking, um has a huge positive impact on how you feel, moving your body. Um, so I would say Generally, yes, you know, I have, like I said, every so often I get a really bad burning mouth or, but I know what it is now. So I I don't feel anxious about it. It's not particularly comfortable at times, but it's not, you know, it it doesn't debilitate me that much that it's having a really negative impact on my life. Um, And just, you know, talking to to friends and being open about it and not being afraid to, I think just being kinder to, to myself and recognize, which I find very hard, which I think a lot of women find very hard. Yeah, You know, when I'm exhausted or when I haven't slept properly or when I'm not feeling great, actually to say it's all right, to actually go and, you know, sit down for an hour. I mean, I can do that because I work from home. So, you know, I, I fully appreciate that's not as easy if you're working, you know, full-time in an office environment, but I do think now, because when I was going through all of it, it was pre-COVID. Absolutely, no way could you work from home. Not in a million. I mean, that was not part of the the landscape that we all operated in then. Um, so I think there are there are ways now that it, it's it can be a little bit easier when maybe you have slept really badly or. Um, You're not having to go out and be in rush hour and and do all of that stuff every day of the week, necessarily. I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, but um, I I think we have more flexibility, don't we, in terms of of work life, how we manage it. So I think that's a positive thing. Yeah, Um, definitely.
0: And and now when you change careers, um, that was a direct result of what you were going through?
1: Well, it was I I've. I was coached back at the beginning of when I first became a director I was given coaching and I just thought my god I love this this is amazing and this is what I want to do but told myself I couldn't that you know there was I was too busy I had my job was too demanding etc 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 so it wasn't actually until all those years later when I was in Australia that yes I had that that sort of point in my life of thinking I'm I can't do this anymore I can't I'm stop. I can't I can't live like this anymore and I remember very distinctly turning around to my husband and saying I've got to stop and you've got to start I've got to stop and you've got to start and that was the sort of turning point and the, the, the pivotal sort of point of making a decision I'm going to go and train to be a coach which I joined the coaching institute in Melbourne um and became qualified in coaching and a couple of other um sort of behavioural profiling tool, something called extended disk and and metadynamics. And then when we returned to the UK, I made a conscious decision. I don't want to go back into a full-time employed job. I want to be a consultant. Mm. Um, So, yes, I do think, you know, sometimes you have to reach that sort of tipping point of when it just becomes unbearable and you just think, I've got to change. It's me that has to change something. The external stuff is not going to change unless I make a decision here. Um, And I do think definitely being menopausal, perimenopausal, not menopausal at that stage, but perimenopausal definitely would have had an impact in terms of it it coming to a head and me making those decisions. Um, And yes, and since
0: then, I mean, my journey has been a very interesting journey. Brilliant. Well, that, that was fascinating, Julia. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think you'll have passed a lot of good information on there and, and helped a lot of women. But thank you. It's been a, a pleasure on on my side, totally. Well, thanks, Julia. Bye. I hope you enjoyed Julia's conversation with me. And if you're experiencing any of the same symptoms, please do contact me and share them with my listeners. You can contact me on Annie. At menopausebuddies.co.uk dot co uk. I look forward to hearing from you.